Hello, and uh, welcome to the Christian Information Podcast by Providence Church in Omaha, Nebraska. My name is Gabe, and today I'm joined by Andrew Rutten and a friend of ours named Eric Raymond. Eric, could you say hello real quick? Hey, Gabe. It's good to be with you. <laughs> Eric is a pastor of preaching and teaching at Emmaus Bible Church in Omaha. And Eric, in addition to that, has started uh, the Omaha Gospel Network, which later became the Omaha chapter of the Gospel Coalition. In addition to that, he's written for many publications such as Ligonier, Table Talk, Nine Marks, and For the Church, and is a hosted writer for the Gospel Coalition. Thanks for being here with us, Eric. Um, I'm really excited for you to help us um, shed some light on The Five Solas, which is a new series we're starting uh, here at Providence. If you didn't know, 500 years ago, there was an event in history called the Protestant Reformation that changed Christianity as we know it. But to fully understand the Reformation and what it was, let's start the conversation this way, um, with a brief history. So, Eric, can you enlighten us just a bit on what happened 500 years ago and why we should maybe care about it today? Yeah, it's a great question. And so, just in the interest of some brevity, but hitting some highlights, you had the Roman Catholic Church, which was uh, dominant in the world in terms of uh, religion. And so within the, 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 the Roman Catholic system, they was really wed together with the state. So you had the state and you had the church together. And so they really just were able to advance and have kind of, um, kind of a kingdom authority over, over the people. Um, and as things had gone so progressively away from the, the, the apostolic age all the way up to the 16th century, you were, you were moving further and further away from kind of what we would call biblical teaching. And so uh, by the time the 16th century rolls around, you have some, some even some Catholic priests and some monks that were beginning to ask really hard questions and good questions about why we do things that we do and why do we not do things that we do, um, and really going back to the Bible to, to ask some of those questions. And so one of those individuals was Martin Luther, who was actually a monk, and his, his goal was not to... Uh, start a new religion or start a new denomination or a new wing or a sect, but simply to ask a question and begin a conversation. And as he was going through this crisis of faith, um, coming to the place where he was struggling with who God is and how can someone be made right with God, um, he he began that conversation by uh, putting the, as you might do today, um, you know, maybe on a blog post or a Facebook post, we post something publicly to begin that conversation. Uh, he simply nailed it to a door in the church. And uh, that was the kind of the public forum for them to begin the conversation and to think through this. What ended up happening is it, it struck a nerve. And um, in, the, in the whole course of the culture, that what Luther was asking and answering and beginning to, to go, and then the subsequent response of the Roman Catholic Church really revealed that th- there were some significant issues. So fast-forwarding through Luther and some of the early reformers, um, one of the key questions that they were trying to get at was who has the authority? Where do we get authority? Um, and how can somebody know they can be right with God or, or they're not right with God? So this is, they began asking really some of the fundamental questions, and the Reformers wanted to go back to the source, that is the Scripture. And they would have to cut through the fog of tradition and centuries of church canon law to get there. And so really that set up the scene for this kind of... Um, this reformation, but it's really kind of an adversarial relationship between Luther and the other reformers and the Roman Catholic Church. Okay. So you, you mentioned a, a couple different aspects there 
some of the questions they were asking. Would you say was there like one main thing that kind of led you mentioned the the issue of either scripture or just authority, justification, some of those things. Is there kind of one main thing that that you see as you look at this that kind of started everything or is it just questions in general about all these kind of topics? I think if we really wanted to simplify, we would we would ask you know, somebody would say might say the formal cause of the Reformation was the authority of Scripture versus tradition, and the material cause of the Reformation would have been um, you know, justification by faith. Yeah. And so, I think those they're really tied closely together. And so, as you're going through your discussion on the solas, you know, you're you're hitting all of those there. But I think the Scripture has to be really understood because it gives the it gives the framework for understanding um, what the other solas would be. Yeah, for sure. And could could you just elaborate more? Like, why is scripture like the primary, or like the starting point, at least from like your perspective? Yeah. So from my my perspective, it w- it would be just it's so it's so important to have that framework. I'm I'm not quite certain that was the, the the instigating or the first cry of the of the Reformation, but I mean it's it's absolutely important because from a from a Roman Catholic standpoint, they had. Three systems of authority. So Roman Catholics wouldn't deny the authority of the Bible, uh, right? So they believe in the inspiration of scriptures, and so we want to be very clear that Catholics don't look at the scripture and say this isn't God's word. But they also put it in line with two other sources of authority, which would be church history or the teaching in in the magisterium, uh, the the pope and the magisterium. So those are three sources of authority which have a result of subordinating the scripture to to uh, church teaching and the Pope. And so for the reformers, that was unacceptable, mm-hmm. right? So we want to go back and say the scripture is God's word. That is the source of the authority. Um, so for them, their, their whole cry was to go back to the scriptures okay. and show us that the scripture not only contains the word of God, as w- what Catholics would have said, but it actually is the word of God. Mm-hmm. The scripture is God's word. And so therefore, it's authoritative. It's inerrant. It's sufficient. It's infallible. It is, it is to be the thing that we preach, read, study, teach, and we love. It's got to be the scriptures. Mm-hmm. So it's that, that cry for the sola scriptura then is going after the, um, the authority of the Bible, the sufficiency of the Bible. Yeah, that's good. And so what, um, in light of like, so in light of the Reformation, the solas came out of that but it was was it like a manifesto that they wrote or how do we get to these like five solas like later down the road yeah i think i'd probably off the top of my head i probably have to look up and get exactly the the history of what how did they come to be but i know calvin was influential in bringing about of the solas and then it was it kind of became the um kind of the mantra of the reformers and going back to those five solas that uh, were so instrumental in yeah. framing up the thought of the Reformation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So one of the, as we look at Scripture alone, as you kind of touched on the, the authority piece, um, one of the issues, so I've read just on both sides, you know, of the, the solas and those for it and those who maybe push back. One of the things that I've read on the pushback side is that we're, we're saying, you know, we, we want Scripture alone as the Word of God, as you said. Um, I've heard people argue there's just no place in Scripture that actually says or defends a Scripture alone type 
view or doctrine or belief or whatever. So could you maybe help just, I don't know if you can combat that or even just help show from the scriptures how we develop an idea of scripture alone. Yeah, so when we're talking about sola scripture, we're talking about the authority and sufficiency of the Bible. So the source of the scripture being in God, he inspires the text. Um, That is not that he makes the text inspiring, though it is, but the text has its source in God and that it is, therefore, it's authoritative and it's sufficient for life. So that's that's really what we're arguing there is the supreme authority of the Bible. So the two the, the questions that I would want to ask on that when somebody says that they don't see that, I would want to know, first off, is how did Jesus approach the Bible? Just ask the question. Did, uh, how did Jesus interact with the Pharisees, with the religious leaders, with the people when he was teaching? Did Jesus seem to demonstrate a belief in the authority and inspiration of the Scripture? I mean, it's clear that he does, right? So he's he's quoting the Old Testament, um, and, and so to dis, to uh, decide the argument on the resurrection, right? So he, he you remember he he says to the Sadducees, he answers them back and he said, "What does the Scripture say?" He says, I am the God of the living. Like, he, he built his argument on the resurrection based on the fact that God continues hmm. to exist, like on, a, on, on, on the, the, the tense of the verb, right? right? So you have that. Then you have um, him quoting, whether it's in John chapter 5, uh, the scriptures cannot be broken, uh, or he's, he's dealing with Satan in Matthew chapter 4. Every single um, temptation he answers back, it is written, it is written, which more literally could be rendered, it stands written, right? Seeing that, so his, his answers uh, with the Pharisees in Mark chapter 7, he's going back and you invalidate the scripture by your tradition, seeing the scripture as the authority on that. So those are just examples of Jesus in mm-hmm. his life and ministry uh, where he, you just read through the Gospels and think, how does Jesus treat the Old Testament? He treats it as the word of God and he treats it as the authority. It is the arbitrator, the thing that makes the decision between someone being right and wrong. What does the scripture say? And even Jesus saw himself as fulfilling the scriptures. He says he didn't come to destroy the law, Matthew five seventeen, but for, for, to fulfill it. Like to bring it to its end. Mm. Um, so there's just, I always want to say, I want to be on Jesus' side with respect to the Scripture. How does he view the Bible? Clearly he sees it as authoritative. Clearly he sees it as coming from God and it being sufficient. Now, as far as direct Bible verses that would talk to the, the, the doctrine of Sola Scriptura, I would look at 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17, where Paul is teaching and training Timothy, and he's, he says that all Scripture... Literally all the letters are breathed out by God or inspired by God. So it has its source in God. Um, and that it's um, it's profitable for teaching, reproof, reproof, correction, and training. So that the man of God would be sufficient. Right. So there's a there's a there's a training aspect of the scripture. So to just break that down, Paul says that all scripture, so all of the words, all the letters are sourced in God and are given to us for the purpose of training, teaching, and really deciding all of these matters, and to make the man of God, who's going to preach the Word of God, sufficient for, for his calling. And then what comes in chapter 4 is to preach the Word of God. Uh, rebuke, exhort with um, all patience, right? You, you, your job is to preach that Word. So I think a passage like Second Timothy three sixteen and 17 clearly demonstrates Sola Scriptura. 
And I think the model of Jesus in his ministry, we might just go back and think about the, the prophets in the Old Testament. How do they view the Bible? Uh, is it coming from God or is it coming from man? Right. Clearly coming from God. Um, Matthew 4, quoting Deuteronomy, man doesn't live by bread alone, but what? Every word that right. proceeds out of the mouth of God. So I, I think that that argument, I'm guessing when I hear that argument, I'm not thinking that they're primarily arguing against the verbal plenary inspiration of scripture i think what they're actually saying is we need more things than just the scripture Mm -hmm. or you don't deny that there are other things that are valuable in the life of the christian and i would say oh absolutely not there are other things that are very valuable for the christian Hmm. which i want to talk about but in terms of its supreme authority uh, that's the scripture Uh, we we are that we are under the bible the church is under the bible um, and the magisterium the pope tradition emotions feelings experiences those all have to be subjugated to the scripture and i think that's really what the reformers are trying to get us back to that's a good word because that was what you just finished on was another critique i've heard of the idea of scripture alone then does that mean there is no other place for any other authority you know what does it do or what does it mean then when jesus is giving authority to peter you know and those Mm -hmm. kind of things um so you would say that there still is other authority, but that's, that Scripture is the supreme authority. So that idea of sola scriptura isn't saying there is no other authority or anything like that, but that this is our supreme authority? Yeah, and I think even in that context of Matthew 16, where Jesus gives authority to Peter, he gives him the keys of the kingdom, I, I think I would take that passage that he's giving that authority to a local church organized around a gospel people that make the right profession and whose lives line up, as Matthew 18 says, make living in light of that right profession. So I think the church does have authority. Yeah. Uh, and elders and leaders in the church have a, an, an authority. But listen, all authority, because we're under God, is a derived authority. Mm-hmm. And the scriptures are given to us so we can understand how to function and how to live in light of what God has given us. So he has organized the church in a particular way, and it does have authority, but it sits under the scripture as the the governor of the church. Yeah, That's really good. So to take this from sort of, uh, I guess, the, the theoretical to the practical, Eric, um, so as a pastor, a guy who shepherds people in Omaha, uh, why would you want your people to know this or any of the solas at all like is it helpful is it just history you know like no i would say it's essential um it's essential to understand because i think they're biblical doctrines so it's, it's really really important um, so we're kind of an anti-institutional anti-authority age which isn't really a whole lot different than it's been in the previous centuries but it's really strong today so we need to understand who is our authority hmm. um so Kind of with your question, Andrew, about um, other realms of authority and the the way in which God would use the church and church history and teachers, like those things are not are not at odds with sola scriptura. Like so, we would we would we would find great benefit in under in taking um, say creeds and confessions and catechisms and commentaries and teachings and other materials that God's given to the church. But even those things are under under the scriptures. Um, so to your question, you're, you're thinking about how would you get people to think about Sola Scriptura? Well, you want, you want to get as many resources as you can marshal to help you to know the Bible better. That's why it's so important for the church to gather together. Just think about what the church is supposed to do. It's supposed to gather together to 
to have the Word of God read, right? Paul tells Timothy to give attention to the public reading of Scripture. What else does he tell him to do? Give him attention to prayer in First Timothy. So there's praying. And Ephesians chapter 6 talks about praying the Word, right? So you, you're preaching the Word, uh, you're reading the Word, you're praying the Word, and then you see Second uh, Timothy 4, preach the Word. Right? So you need to have that, that Scripture preached, prayed, read, and then you have confession. Uh, you have the Lord's Supper, which is a gathering together to see the Word, right? And then in singing, right, as you sing and you select music for your congregation, are you not trying to find music that most clearly represents faithfully what the Word of God says mm. and speaks into the experiences of the Christians so they could have their affections raised to delight in Christ, right? So everything comes back to the Word. Yeah. Right? We want to we pray, read, preach, see, and sing that Word. Uh, so it's vitally important for the congregation to know the ultimate source of authority and why everything we do together as a church goes back to that word. So, so think of Ephesians chapter 4, pastors are equipped the saints for the work of service. And he talks about maturity versus immaturity. And then verse 15 talks about that the church is to speak the, the truth in love to one another. So they're a well-taught congregation ministering to one another, utilizing their gifts and speaking the word of God to one another. We need that word. It's the, it's the lifeblood of the church. Mm. Yeah. That's really good. And one, I guess, just last question. Um, so how in your life, I guess, and for us, how would you say is a few ways we can foster a more complete love for the word of God? Yeah. So I think maybe we go back a little bit to Andrew's question and, and say what, some challenges against it, and then go back to, to the other yeah. side of fostering it. So we live, at, I, I mentioned, kind of an anti-authoritarian, um, anti-institutional age that's very much consumer-driven and very individualistic. So the tendency could be, oh, sola scriptura, it's just me, God, and my Bible, it's just me and Jesus. I don't need the church, anti-institutional, right? I don't think sola scriptura is teaching that at all because the scriptures drive us to see the primacy of the church. So I think that's a danger that we could go there. Another one could be just to, to look at the um, kind of a, a historical. So it's just me now. So you guys are a church plant, you know, less than a year old. So it's, it's all about this new thing. Right. Yeah. And you could just be thinking about strategizing and planning and thinking about all the stuff you want to do. And we're sola scriptura. So we're going to preach the word and we're going to read the word and we're going to do this. But you, you think, oh, wait, there's actually 2,000 years of church before you where you could learn a lot from them. And I think Sola Scriptura, by its modeling in the Scripture, seeing the book of Acts and seeing the development of the church and these different churches, and then church history developing, would tell us to look at what God's doing. I mean, think of Barnabas coming and visiting and rejoicing to see the, the work of grace there, right? So so it, it pushes us against kind of an individualistic, ahistorical realm. But then on the other side, we can say, oh, I'm all into history, and I'm all into um, the church, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to elevate my creeds and my traditions to a level, like the Roman Catholic level, to eclipse Sola Scriptura. Now it pushes us back against that side. So it guards us, it fences us in a way against um, kind of the, the, the idols of the day, individualism, our historicalism, and then the tendency towards elevating ourselves. And it just keeps us right in that place of Scripture where we need to be. So I think those are some challenges. As far as fostering it in the congregation, I would say first, the, 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 the elders and the pastors need to love the Word of God, right? So that's, that's their job, to, to spend time in the Word and to love the Word. So you never get beyond personal devotions and joy in the Word um, and trying to 
trying to delight in Christ in his word. I mean, I'm, I'm just reading this morning in the 42nd Psalm, and in, in the psalmist says, um, O my soul, why are you downcast within you? Hope in God, for you again praise him. I'm looking at that, and I'm thinking, how are you reading my mind? Hmm. Right? I'm just, hmm. it's, you know, it's six in the morning, and I'm just sitting here all alone with my cup of tea, and I'm reading this. And like, you, you just read me. Hmm. And I'm just delighting in the word because this book is so amazing. So <laughs> it, it, you know, as Spurgeon said, I've read a lot of books, but this book reads me. Right? Hmm. This, so you, you've got to, as a pastor, uh, if you want to infect the church with a love for the word or soul of scripture, you've got to actually love the word. Right. So if you don't love the word, it's not going to go very far. I mean, God can, you know, broken clocks write twice a day, right? So I mean, he can, <laughs> right. you can eventually things can work. But um, ideally, that's the way it works. And then in the church, elevating the word of God the best you can in preaching um, and trying to conduct life as a church, as a church constituted according to what the New Testament model of the church would be, doing things that the scripture calls us to do that might be um, contrary to what, um, popular culture might think so like even accountability within the context of the church calling sin sin dealing with sin public confession uh, admonishment uh, all the things that the bible would call us to be and do and then of course the preach word on sunday the lord's gathering is the word is preached and the people are fed uh, and taking the lord's supper and then in the life of the church trying to push the word into the context of community whether that's small groups or prayer meetings or family devotions you just want it to be a word community just think about it it's a, it's the word i think luther said that the the word creates the church right so the church is a, a creature of the word so therefore the word that creates the church needs to shape it and you got to keep being shaped by it. So it's an it's a job that's never going to end. So Lord willing, you know, Providence Church is going to continue past you guys' time yeah. here. So how do you lay a foundation for the long term? You just need to be men of the word, right? So you're you're spending time preaching, reading, modeling a high view of Scripture, and then Lord willing, you go somewhere else or you go to heaven, and the next guys come and they do the same thing. And that's that's the legacy that you want to do. So modeling yourselves doing what the Bible calls you to do as a church. The word is central. It's the artery of the church. And then uh, continuing to train up others to do the same. Mm-hmm. What would you, a quick follow-up to that. So for the for someone who's maybe either reading scriptures or even just kind of outside of a personal devotion time, and what does it look like to actually kind of like, you know, we talk about hearing from God today or hearing the voice of God or stuff like that. Um, I don't know. Where, where do you see that as possible? Where would you maybe be hesitant to, you know, if we have the scriptures and somebody says, well, I feel like God was telling me this. Yeah. How do we balance, you know, a life with God and hearing from God with, um, you know, this idea of scripture alone? And that's the final authority. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the best way if you want to hear God speaking to you, you just read the Bible out loud. Mm-hmm. And you can hear him. Yeah. Yeah. I'm tongue in cheek. <laughs> uh, so I think that's, a, that's pro- I'd love to tackle that, that question and talk about it. So cut me off. It's going a little no, bit long. Yeah. But um, one of the elements of the sufficiency of Scripture is saying that the Scripture is sufficient. It's all we need. So I think you, if, you, if you're getting into um, a continuing revelation, so, you know, you're driving into work and, you know, you're kind of, 
you're hearing from God. Well, what does that mean? Is, is God revealing new truth to you, kind of downloading it to you in your mind as you're driving and giving you extra revelation that's outside of what the Bible would say? I mean, most people don't talk like that. That's not what they think. They think, oh, I don't have a third Timothy or, you know, a first Andrew <laughs> right. and a second Gabe. Like, that's not how people are, are naturally thinking when they're saying. What they probably are, are, are saying is not that God's giving me new revelation, but that God's taking existing revelation and impressing it upon my heart as the Spirit leads me and does that. The danger here, right? So I, I fully believe the Holy Spirit works and acts and takes Scripture and impresses it upon our hearts and even leads us in ways that we don't even realize. The danger is that sometimes our flesh and our mind can can think that we're hearing things in our subjective that actually might contradict the Scripture and might even contradict sound wisdom. And then you believe, oh, I, because I had this impression as I'm driving to work or I'm thinking that this is what God wants me to do. That's why I think it's, it's vitally important to weigh our feelings, our emotions, our movements with what the Scripture says. And it's vital to be a part of a church community uh, where there can be a context of accountability and encouragement and speaking the Word of God to one another so that we can actually through that conversation, help to discern what the Lord's will would be. I, I, I want to be very careful with um, feeling moved to do something that I don't have any biblical basis to do. Because here's the thing, I feel moved to do things a lot of times, and a lot of times the movement that I feel to do is according to my own comfort and fleshly desires. It's really convenient for me that that things that I feel like I should do are things that might feed the flesh or give me a break, or something like that. Um, I don't really feel moved to suffer. And so I think I, we just have to weigh everything to the Bible. So can God speak to us th- through the Holy Spirit leading us? Not if you mean new revelation, but if you mean leading you and directing you? Yes, absolutely. But it's di- very difficult to discern that in kind of a word level. You need to have everything subjected to what the Word of God says. Mm, I think that's... It's, it's, a, it's a dicey one to go through, but I think... F- Asking questions, what people mean on that is probably the best way to go, and then try to direct them back to the word. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Really good. Yeah. Maybe in twenty seconds, somebody's listening to this and they're kind of stirred to want to know the scripture to to live by it, as you talk about. Uh, you have a member in your congregation who just doesn't know their Bible yet. Any quick suggestions on how it start here, or this is kind of how you begin to to read it, to understand it, to live it. Or you say just open it and start? Yeah, so I'll give you real life. Um, I was meeting with a brother. Uh, uh, this was something last year about this time. I, I saw a guy, talked to him, and I said, you just joined the church. Um, do you read your Bible regularly? And he said, yes. And I said, how do you do with reading your Bible? And he said, I have a hard time understanding it. And I said, okay, would you like to meet on Thursday mornings? We'll read the Bible together. He said, yeah, we did that for nine months. And read through it was almost a year we just read through books of the bible talked about it so i would say find an older brother find an older sister Hmm. go to a pastor say i need help reading my bible and pastor's eyes should light up like jonathan when they had the honey they should be like oh yes (laughs) you want help reading your bible i'll help you with that i'll get you connected to to joe or to sally and they can help you with that or i can help you with that Hmm. uh that should be something that we want to be training our people to do. Um, they need greater help in reading the Bible so that it becomes kind of like a, a movement of people wanting to read and study the Bible. Yeah. So they shouldn't feel ashamed about it. They should be encouraged yeah. and reach out to somebody that can probably help them with that. 
That's yeah. great. Yeah. Mm. Well, can I pray for us real sure. quick? Um, Father, we want, uh, we want to love your word more deeply. We want to see it as your word uh, written not to us, but for us, Lord, applicable to us today. Um, so, Spirit, would you do that? Would you foster a love in the hearts of our people uh, for your word and ultimately for you and your glory in your holy name? podcast you just heard was recorded with anchor if you want to make your own download the android or ios app completely free from anchor.fm slash podcast that's anchor.fm slash podcast